Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And today I'm excited to welcome back Dr. Jody Carrington. Dr. Jody Carrington is a world-renowned psychologist who focuses a majority of her work on helping foster healthy relationships and productive teams. There's some words that I talk about in this interview, but I want to share with you that that really just speaks to me about who she is. Um, and you can find them on her own website, but it says, first, I believe in the idea that you are exactly where you need to be, no matter how painful, no matter how wonderful, but wherever you are, you need to be there. Second, I believe that we are wired to do hard things. More importantly, we are wired for connection and we were never meant to do this alone. Jody is someone who you will tell within five seconds just gets people and the importance of loving others, serving others, and being with others. And so we spend uh, pretty much the majority of this conversation on her new book, Feeling Seen, Reconnecting in a Disconnected World. And we spend time defining what connection actually is. Uh, Jody's helpful enough to help define a roadmap for connection or reconnection. I wanted to dive into, uh, not a favorite topic of mine, but one that I think a theme that comes up in my life and people's lives around me is just this power of shame. Um, you know, we we talk often about how so many of us that are listening to this podcast right now are very encouraging of others. But if we think about how we talk to ourselves and kind of the shame we allow ourselves to feel, uh, it's amazing that we can get up uh, out of bed some days. And so we talk about the power of shame, but also how to conquer it. And then again, because Jody is so real uh, in her book, as well as in this conversation, we kind of dive into what happens when we lose our way again. So yes, we read this great book, we get some motivation, we start reconnecting with the world and the people around us. But what do we do once we get back into our old habits and start talking to ourselves negatively again and get allow ourselves to get disconnected from the relationships and the uh, things that are most important to us in our life. And so I just appreciate, you'll see pretty quickly, I mean, she is uh, funny, she is uncensored in a way that just keeps me really comfortable. And so if you didn't listen to the first podcast with us, um, obviously I was just getting to know her then, but she was so, she put me at, at ease. So I'd say go back and listen to that one. But this one is just um, super encouraging. As we start the school year off, I hope you guys are as encouraged as I am about uh, how do we get reconnected? This is a powerful time to get reconnected. And so it's a great time to talk to Jody. So I, as you can tell, I'm pretty excited about this episode. So I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Jody, it is awesome to have you back. Thanks for making time again to be here with you. I'm really excited to talk to you again. Dustin, I thought it was four years. You told me it's been two years since we did this last time. So it, I mean, it just, it's been too long, my friend. I would, I would have you back plenty. I, I guess keep telling you, I'm still jealous of uh, your old, again, you don't do it anymore, which is uh, for a lot of probably good reasons, but the wine <laughs> chats, I always thought was one of the most brilliant things that uh, you could have done. And so I was always jealous of those. Um, so again, I don't have wine for us, but I'm excited to, to dive in with you. I appreciate you making time. Yes. Thank you for having me back. I asked this question and there's only been a couple of folks that we've had uh, back at this point. And so not that's not to make you feel special, but it's just, I like asking the same question that we started every podcast with again to see how it's evolved. And so that, that question is, who are you and what do you love about what you do? So uh, my name is Dr. Jody Carrington. I'm a psychologist and I'm a mom and a wife and uh, I'm a leader of uh, our little team. I am a child psychologist by training, but I've done a lot of work with organizations and, and actually with police officers around trauma. And um, I'm not a fan of kids. Um, I'm really a big fan of the people who hold them. 
And I think we do an awful job of looking after the big people. And here's what I know to be true. If the big people are all, if the big people aren't okay, the little people don't stand a chance. Absolutely. And the favorite part about what I do, I think every day, mostly I speak to educators and that's how I started my career. And it never made sense for a psychologist really to sort of always be in the room of teach. I wrote books for teachers. I, I think that it is the holiest profession on the planet. And when I think about leadership in this space of sort of walking kids through hard things, walking colleagues through hard things, what I know to be true all the time is that somebody, you can't tell people how to do it. You got to show them. And so probably the most favorite thing about what I do these days, it's like, I mean, somebody asked me today on a plane because we were flying um, this morning. They were like, my gosh, is this like, are you just living the dream? Like you get to to fly around the country and, and talk about, you know, relationship and connection. And I'm like, yes, yes, I am. And I have three kids, you know, they're the twins are 10 and our oldest is 13. And people say to me all the time, like, oh, are you, is it so hard to be away from your kids? Uh, no, no, actually, no, no, it's not. I, I, this is funny. Aaron called this morning, my husband, before the kids went to school and they're like, he's like, okay, what am I supposed to do about the field trip? And like, how much money do I give of each? And are, like, do they get lunch there? And like, then there's baseball, but I think it's been rained out. And so we'll do look And I was like, oh, I'm just having a mimosa on the plane. So I love you guys. You got it. I'm just going to go get in a hotel room and talk to Dustin. Okay. <laughs> Oh my goodness. That's what my wife thinks I do when I travel. (laughs) (laughs) No, listen, I mean, this is the thing. I think since the last time we talked, uh, I now have three books. The the latest is a, is a national bestseller. Um, I spend a lot of time on the road, maybe, you know, I spoke 170 times last year and Mm. because it is the thing that just lights my soul on fire. We have never been more disconnected in this world. There is a loneliness epidemic. The, Surgeon General of the United States of America announced last month that we are now entering into a loneliness epidemic like we've never seen, despite the fact that we've never had this much access to connection connection or resources or research. Kids these days have never felt this this lonely. Highest rate of suicide in your country and mine is middle-aged men. This I read this stat yesterday. Since 40 years ago, since for, in the last 40 years, the... Um, increase in people living alone has been absolutely massive. We spend more time away from each other than we ever have. And what we will never automate is relationship. We are neurobiologically wired for connection. And there is an absolute direct link between this mental health crisis, this loneliness epidemic, and the fact that we don't look at all. Nobody feels seen in this moment to the same degree that we even did one decade ago. And uh, it is the only way home. How do we re-engage again? And so I love to talk about that every day. How do? Yeah, I mean, I, I that one the the part that was where, where I besides the wine opportunity uh, and the wine talks that you had. Yeah, you really I stuck just, on that, eh, Dustin? Like, I feel like <laughs> for sure we should just visit that. I mean, I could talk about just that do it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I I just I just thought it was a a great way to break down some of the barriers in conversation. Um, and, and so just anyways, I just thought it was brilliant. But what I love about you is that. The reason I'm in education as well is for the big people. I love the little people, but the big people are really where it starts and that's where your heart is. And so uh, on this conversation about connectedness, how how do you define connection? Because, you know, as you define, like as you said earlier, we're more connected wirelessly. I can keep up with people in ways I've never kept up with, you know, that I haven't seen in 20 years that I've never been able to do before, but yet I'm we're more disconnected. Just define what connection is. 
totally. It's this false sense, um, you know, in a virtual world, it's a false sense that we know each other. And to truly feel seen by another human being, right? We get to be in the most vulnerable parts of ourselves. I think I've assessed and treated over a thousand kids in in Canada, and I've never not one time met a bad kid. Not one time. And I, you know, I worked on a locked psychiatric inpatient unit at the, you know, at a Alberta Children's Hospital for 10 years. And I've seen hitters and kickers and biters and one that's tell you, you know, the ones that tell you to F off. I love those babies because here's the question we ask all the time in education and in my profession. What is wrong with this one? What is wrong? Do they got the ADHD, the bipolar? Do they got a learning disability? Do they got the ODD? What are we going to do with this one? What, you know, and all of our IPPs or behavioral support plans look at strategies to deal with what is wrong. But you know what we don't ask enough? What happened to you? Mm. And when people truly, context is a prerequisite for empathy. And the more I know about somebody, people are hard to hate close up. And if I am spending less and less time in the physical presence of other human beings, I will become less and less knowledgeable about your story. And all I want to do is fix your behavior. Yeah. And I, when I understand the context in which your behavior occurs, I suddenly, it's the antidote to burnout. And leaders in education these days, I think, you know, Adam Grant says this, and I, and I fully, fully believe this. We are playing by a set of rules that were established for a world that no longer exists. In education, we are marred by a set of rules that our parents taught us, that uh, organizations have taught us. You make a good choice, I reward you. You don't make a good choice, I punish you. We cannot play by those rules anymore because kids have never been this unseen. A strict behavioral model, model is predicated on relationship. Yeah, it, it assumes that relationship is embedded because when we first came up with this theory, my forefathers of psychology, the boys, Watson and Skinner, we, we had so much more proximity to each other. In fact, it, retrospective data would suggest that our great grandparents looked at their, chil their children 72% more of the time than we look at our babies. Mm. Isn't that something? And the only way you learn that you matter, the only way you learn emotional regulation, how to mourn, how to stay attendant, how to be kind, how to have empathy, is somebody has to show you face to face. Huh? I can't text one of those babies behind you and say, you know what, use your words, okay? Calm down. You're not making good choices, right? If an infant starts to cry, we are neurobiologically wired for connection. If you disconnect from an infant, they die, okay? We, we will never automate relationship. And COVID exponentially increased this propensity for disconnection because for the physical safety of our communities, the world said, the world, not just a state or a country, the world said, stay home, put the mask on, educate kids, hold your babies with masks like this. Huh? And that has further perpetuated this idea that it, it takes a skill to have a conversation in a elevator. It take, it's a skill as an educator to kneel down beside somebody's desk and say, okay, 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 look at me, right? And if our student teachers can't be in a classroom to watch those things, if a, uh, a kid can't sort of organize their thoughts and their feelings in a place where, mm, you know, it, it, becomes a, it, it becomes a problem. And when we look at the rate of burnout in education today, I mean, it, it blows my mind, but it also means that the people who are sending us their babies have never been this dysregulated either. So we've got this brutal problem that we're up against. We've never seen this this level of dysregulation in kids. Huh? They've never been so chippy or assholery-ish. Neither have their parents. Huh? And then as a staff, we've never been this tired. So you can see, yeah, 
the issue then that becomes, it becomes very divisive. We're exhausted. We lose our access to compassion and our futility, which basically means you give a shit is broken. Yep. What's the point? So again, I, I guess what I'm looking for is like that, that is the case. And almost every school, I just told you a story about my wife running out of gas, which she'll hate that I put on here, but uh, you know, it's just because she's working so hard, you know, 60, 70 hour weeks with her school district. And so every story that I hear about, you know, their culture, her school, or, you know, my friends who are in districts or schools across the country is the story you just described. How, how, what are the steps we take to help fight back against that dysregulation or create authentic connections and relationships? Okay. So two things, you can't address what you don't acknowledge. And generally speaking, we always want to fix it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Specifically in education, we want to Mary Poppins, the ever loving Jesus out of everything. Okay. 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 It's okay. You're fine. We're fine. It's okay. I love the children. Okay. Let's do some strategies. Let's take some. <laughs> Maybe you can teach us start clapping when things get out of control, flicking lights, huh? We don't like it when people are upset. But here's the answer. The absolute answer is that there needs to be, before we ever try to fix it, there needs to be a space carved out for acknowledgement of holding space for just how hard this is to acknowledge people like your partner, your wife, who gives her heart and soul to everybody else's kids in the run of a day at the expense of not being able to pick up her babies because she didn't have time to stop to get gas because she was thinking about, right? There's not a single educator that hasn't lost sleep over somebody else's baby or spent more time and money worried about somebody else's children at sometimes at the expense of their own. Huh? Yes, a lot it of is, times. Uh, it's holy work. And here's the thing. If we don't look after them, they can't continue to serve. And so the answer is truly acknowledgement. And I'll tell you, Here's a definition of acknowledgement, okay? It's, it is the step we mix all the time, miss all the time because we want to fix it. Huh? If you've had a really difficult day, the more time we get to spend together, I don't like it when you're upset. I want to fix it. In the beginning of our relationship, I can, as a therapist, I can handle this all day long. Yeah, tell me more. Let me understand the process. Okay, I, oh my gosh, you're amazing. And then in that process, we regulate and figure it out together. The more somebody gets distressed in my school district, in my, on my team, in my house, my husband, I want to fix it. Yeah. Here's the third. He comes home at the end of the day and he's exhausted. Oh, Joe, like, you know, I think I'm going to get fired out of this year. He feeds cows for a living. And uh, I'm, I'm scared, you know, like this cow, I had a bloat, whatever, whatever. And you know what? I want to say all the time. I'm like, oh, come on. If it's that bad, like then quit. Like, did you go for a run? Huh? Did you drink? Did you bring water today? in the truck. And oftentimes we don't need the fix. What we need is somebody to simply acknowledge because mm. when you're acknowledged, you rise. We haven't as educators, as, as therapists, as anybody who serves children and their families, we haven't lost our ability to be amazing or passionate about our work. We've lost access to it. And that's the definition of emotional dysregulation. You lose access to the best parts of yourself. When you feel like nobody, not one time has noticed how difficult this is, how much you've had to put up with, with parents and kids and lack of resources. And also PS, you pay your educators horrifically in the United States of America, generally speaking, the most important job on the planet. You spend more waking hours with the most precious commodity that any one of us has than anybody else in the run of a school week. 
It is where we should do our best interventions around mental health. It's where we should do our best interventions around, I mean, obviously education, but rules and sports and anatomy and how to stay safe in the world and whether you should be a jerk to how you treat women, uh, how do you expect, like all of these things happen in the walls. And if you, it, one of my favorite hockey coaches said this, so I'm up in Canada, so everything's about hockey for me, but you should see how fast I can get a kid to skate when I know the name of his dog. Hmm. can you imagine you tell me this Dustin or you think about this for your partner if somebody came up to her well, she's exhausted car ran out of gas today she's going to be late tomorrow morning and somebody meets her in the parking lot and says Mrs. Autumn can I just talk to you for a second I just want to tell you that you you not only changed my kid's life this year you saved it you are one of the most remarkable humans and and my kid, my kid could never tell you because he was often in detention or suspended or whatever yeah. but he talks about you all summer. I just, I'm glad I ran into you today. I just wanted to let you know you're making a difference. When you're truly acknowledged, yeah, we'll fight through walls. For, we'll, we'll skate through walls yeah. for each other. You know, it truly yep. is amazing. It's not that, you know, and I've never met an educator in my history of doing this for the last 10 years that wasn't, uh, didn't at one point. Nobody gets into this because they're like, oh, I can't wait to teach the Bunsen burner. I just love long vowel sounds, you know? There is this idea that at one point we have this ability to be able to make a difference. And those are the swan songs. Those are the things that you'll think about, you know, when this career ends or you start another chapter or whatever that is. It is those kids and families that you'll never shake. And I promise you, if you can get them in your head, any one of them, they, they, they or their families think about you 10 times as much. You are woven into the trajectory of so many stories. And we have to start playing by a new set of rules, which is the resources need to shift from the student to the teacher. Yep. So you said this first step, which by the way, I'm all, all for uh, is, you know, the kind of Southwest early days, Southwest model of take care of your staff and they'll take care of your customers as opposed to going all the way to the customer. But uh, you talked about the first step is acknowledgement. The second step is, Okay. So acknowledgement is really the key to emotional regulation. It is to get back to the best parts of ourselves. Okay. So I think on the first time we met, we talked a lot about emotional regulation because I think even as educators, we don't, certainly as a psychologist, I never really understood this. Even after getting a PhD, I learned a lot about behavior and behavior management and what it takes to sort of shift somebody's way that they show up in the world. But the fundamental basics of any student, any educator who's doing well in this world means they have the ability to stay calm in times of distress, to regulate their emotions. Okay. The definition of emotional dysregulation is how not to lose your friggin' mind. Okay. Yep. <laughs> if you have the ability and we want to be led by people like this, right? You don't want to have a principal or a vice principal, you know, when things get a little hairy or, you know, we have lots of parent complaints to be like, holy shit, I don't know. Oh, yeah. What you want is somebody who could be like, okay, okay. Okay, no problem. There's a small fire in that wing. We're going to get all the babies over here and here's what we're going to do. And we're going to attend to these three things. Okay. You, I got it. And here's some snacks. We're going to be okay. Yeah. The ability to stay calm in times of distress is not anything we are born with. We only come into this world of fight, flight, and freeze. Somebody has to show us. And, and I, I, I can't remember if we talked about this, but my favorite quote of all time is by a dead guy named Ram Das, And he says, we are all just here walking each other. Full stop. Nobody gets out of here alive. We are all just here walking each other home. And when you have some regulated walkers, 
in your village, in your community, in your story, you will do better. Even if you have the most traumatic history, right? If we look at some of the ACEs research around kids who struggle the most, um, the benevolent experiences, the corrective experiences in trauma, 50% of all of those benevolent experiences happen in the walls of a school. If kids can answer this question with a yes, they will heal. Did you like school? Did you have one adult, at least one adult who cared about you? Did you have opportunities to have fun? Did you have regular and predictable routines? You think about what can be provided. Now, it is not the responsibilities of teachers to do this, right? Because there's too much on, on the plate. But understanding the importance of creating a trauma-integrated perspective, not just trauma-sensitive, but trauma-integrated and relationship-focused means you will find more meaning in your career than you have ever had once you understand again and again and again how critically important you are. So acknowledgement is the first step because what it does is it pulls our prefrontal cortex back on. It, it regulates us. We're like, okay, do you, do you mean it? Do you really think, do, is it worth it? Are you sure? Can you tell me more about that? And when we get to that state, then there's so much more availability to figure out how we stay there. What do we got to do to get back to this place? And if I'm thinking about giving it away to other people, like regulating a kid or a dysregulated parent or a uh, losing their mind spouse, there's probably three words that I say all the time that allow people to get regulated, give them some space to be acknowledged and regulated. Do you want to know what they are? I'd love to. Tell me more. Now, you generally have to use that statement when you don't want to know more. Okay. <laughs> when you have all the answers and solutions and strategies, you know, I just a tip for free here. When your wife comes through the door, you're not going to say things like, how did you let that happen? How you ran? <laughs> what did you, what? Oh my. And she'll be like, I don't even know what happened. I, like, it was ridiculous. The car, did you take, what did you, didn't fill it up last time. And instead of arguing, this is an acknowledge. Tell me more. Tell me more. Uh, I often ask kids this, what's the hardest part? Uh, as a leader, I ask this question all the time and I, I hate it, is uh, what am I missing? Because yeah. oftentimes when we don't give our staff, our team, the kids we serve, our own children, the opportunity to drop their shoulders and step back into emotion, that peer active acknowledgement, you can't fix somebody or even attempt to assist somebody who's emotionally dysregulated. Our first job is to get them back there to the best parts of themselves. And then we teach, then we consequence, then we do all those things. It's that middle step that we've often missed because proximity in the last two generations has changed so much. And our rules that we play by in education haven't. It's all based on this idea that we're looking at our kids a whole lot more. We're assuming that kids are filled up when they come to us. We're assuming that there are a lot of relationships that are embedded in that family system, that they're not living in single parent households, that they, you know, they're regulated. It's not true. It's not true for at least 50% of the kids that come through our door because at various points, um, you know, divorce rates in your country and mine hover around 50 to 60%. And so there's lots of kids in a state of heightened arousal. <laughs> before they even come through the door. It is not that you have to fix it. It's that we have to be aware of that because if we don't understand that it's it's them, not us, then right. burnout perpetuates. Well, and so when one we thing, put it into context, sorry. Sorry, I, I just, I get fascinated on, you know, your, your focus on the adults, right? And helping them regulate. One thing that I've noticed over, 
uh, I don't know, number of years, but definitely over these conversations with awesome people like you is how we talk to ourselves as adults is really limiting. And so I feel like there's a lot of shame in people's heads when they're talking about, oh, I'm just no good. And so you had, it's a small part of your book, but I highlighted it because the shame thing keeps come, this trend keeps coming up for me and you call it the shackles of shame. I'd love to unpack that just real quickly with you mm. of, you know, when you think of shame, like how powerful is it? And then you, you kind of break down how people uh, use punishments in a way that shames people and doesn't get us the outcomes that we want. So I'm curious about uh, your, your concept of shackles of shame. Yeah. So we historically use shame and we all, I mean, we've all been raised in this way, right. In, in the efforts to sort of get to snap you out of it for you to think like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to be perceived that way. That is predicated on a relationship that I actually don't want to disappoint you with. If you've been assholery ish to me my whole life, if it's school is not a safe place for me and I'm always getting suspended, right. The intervention is not effective anymore. In fact, it further, disconnects you. And I think shame is one of the most powerful emotions on the planet. And as humans are, I mean, this is what I, I, you tell me about this, but my my assumption all the time, when I looked at somebody who was regulated or calm or, you know, wrote books on parenting, right? If you read kids these days, my first book, it's phenomenal national bestseller. I mean, one of the best things I think on the market, if you watch me with my own personal children, you wouldn't buy the book. Okay, because we have the ability when we're regulated to have access to the best parts of ourselves. Huh? We know what to do. And when we get in a state of emotional dysregulation or somebody has shamed us, you are such a shitty parent, Dustin. Like, what is wrong with you? That tend that doesn't tend to make you go like, okay, I'm just going to try harder. Huh? Yep. And when we think about this idea of, of shame as a behavioral motivator, um, you can, if you have a big enough stick, you can get anybody to comply. Right. But the biggest question that we have to ask ourselves these days is where does it leave these kids with? What, what does it leave our partners with? Right. And if we truly want sort of that regulated sense of, I want to be better, do better. There's so much more of this that has to shift around this, you know, this thing we get back to all the time, which is shame. I'm going to pull you a at the front of the class, I'm going to turn your desk around. I'm going to get you to come up and, you know, tell everybody how you spell your name, right? Like it is so debilitating in this very disconnected unseen world that we cannot do that any longer. Like the, the data will astound you, but just the, if, if I think about any issue that I've ever worked with in, in therapy with kids who have been like scarred significantly, it's often around shame. With that, I mean, again, we I will never have the experience you have to be able to identify it, but I'm thinking about leading my team. I know shame is deep down within everybody, right? And that can hold them back from being their full selves and fully comfortable and thriving. Are there any tricks or uh, sh- not a shortcuts, probably the worst way to describe it because you really want to know somebody, but w- what are the best ways to try to identify shame if people have it and then help them climb out of it? Okay. So first of all, everybody has it. And oftentimes we think it's a long walk between like, this guy's confident. He's got his shit together. He's amazing to like, or or even in your own internal head, right? You think that I'm like, okay, I've got it. This is the best. I'm the best, but like, they're lucky to have me to, I'm a piece of shit. I'm useless. I'm not going to be able to, people think that's a long walk. It's like this. We tend to oh, have yeah. one foot in one side, one in the other all the time. You understand? Right? Like Definitely. think about how quickly your children can turn you into like parent of the year to like, hi, somebody else needs to raise them. 
that you're right. You should hate me. That was such a bad job, right? And so I think what I want you to recognize or what, what I'd love, I have to think about every single day is just what a state of fragility so many people are in. But here's my biggest hope in humanity. And this is why I am so grateful to be alive. And I'm so excited for my children. And this is the truth of it all. The bar is so low. If you want to leave a legacy right now, your ability to be teacher of the year is not out of reach. You want to know what you have to do? Be nice. You give somebody a compliment. You watch what happens, okay? You do that whenever you listen to this episode. I want you to watch what happens when you give somebody a compliment in the next 24 hours, right? It's got to be genuine. And I don't care if you know them or not, right? Dad, I... Look at this kid. He's amazing. I was just watching you guys have a lunch here. I just wanted to tell you, I don't know what you're doing, but you're doing something right. The manners that that kid has, I hope you have a good day, right? Single-handedly, you can, you buy coffee for somebody behind you in, in the, in the Starbucks, in the Duncan line. Huh? But I mean, it's, it is remarkably little what it takes today. I was on an airplane today and somebody said that the stewardess was serving or whatever. And I just said to her, oh my gosh, you like, you look amazing today. I just love your kindness, right? You should see how many cookies and pretzels I got. Like just <laughs> throwing them at me. Do you like, honestly, it, right now we really are so introceptive in the things that we, we do. Oh my God, what did I say? What is happening here? I'm going to flip through everybody else's life on social media and I'm paying close attention to, it. I'm too fat, I'm too dumb, I'm too whatever. Oh my gosh. And it really takes away. We only have a very finite amount of energy in every given moment. And if we're all in, always internally focused, all the things that we're not doing right or we're doing wrong, we miss the good stuff. And I often mm. talk about this, the, the capacity to shift to joy. Joy is a choice. Even if you're sitting in the front row of the funeral, there's moments of joy. And I think we've really got it wrong when we think about this all the time. You know, if I were to ever ask a parent what they want for their child, I would say, if you had any wish for your boys, like, what would it be? You just want them to be, and people generally say, happy. I just want them to be happy, right? I'll do anything mm -hmm. for them to be happy. And here's the problem. Nobody's happy all the time, okay? Yeah. That's so dumb. And, and we've never been inundated with this much data to suggest that everybody right now is happier than us. Right. Yep. You, you scroll through the highlights before you go to bed or you're watching the Twitter. Oh, this guy's, Oh my God. He's so smart. He commented on this and this one's on it. Oh my, they're taking summer courses. Oh, and then you're, Oh my God, I'm not drinking enough collagen. Oh, and you're yelling at your, like, we need family pictures. Jesus. <laughs> Nobody's happy. Okay. Nobody wakes up every morning and goes like, what? this is what I hoped a 48 year old body would look like. I'm just so happy with it, you know, and I'm just so happy with my husband. Oh, what a good choice. I had a lot of choices in 1993. Okay. And I got this spring <laughs> getting cook. And nobody's happy with their parenting. You know, they don't they don't go to their kids and be like, I am single-handedly crushing this. Most of the time, we're beating ourselves up for like, oh, I mean, I I just told you, I had a best-selling book. You just seen the knockdown shoot on what I had with my personal daughter last night. She's 10. I, I don't I don't even understand who's going to jail, me or her, but something is gonna happen and it's not gonna be pretty. And I think so many times we assume that everybody else is doing better. And this, this is the demise of our children, you know, as well, they have instant access to everybody else's snap face, 
and mm. the snap maps and all the things that they're doing. They, yeah. There's constant comparison. And I think what we need to focus on a little bit more, if, if we could, if I had like a wish for everybody, it would be instead of sort of that issue of happiness, it is so much more about feeling all the emotions, having a space to just acknowledge what it's like, that it's hard yeah. to be a teenager, that it's shitty to be a kid, that it feels awful to be a parent sometimes, that I'm sad and scared and disappointed and my kid's a bully one day and they're getting the ever-loving Jesus bullied out of them the next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's so much more about stringing together moments of joy. And I often yeah. ask, you know, ask people this, when's the last time you belly laughed with your babies? When's the last time you danced in your kitchen? When's the last time you stepped into a staff room and just had the ability to be like this, you know, this is, you know, this is ridiculous. When is the belly laughing happening? And I think it's stringing together moments of joy. And one of my good friends, Jess Jansen, she uh, buried her second baby. And she said, even in the front row of a funeral, there's moments of joy. And you have mm. to find them because the inundation of all the things that we're not doing right are so much more accessible. So, I mean, that's that's powerful. And I remember from our first interview, we talked about, you know, one of your life credos was, you know, you believe that you're we're all exactly where we need to be, Right. And the front runner of a funeral is a tough place to to think, okay, you're right, Jody. I am exactly where I need to be. Thank you, Jody, for encouraging me right now. But um, I like the message of stringing together moments of joy and recognizing that life is with ups and downs and all of that is part of life. It's not just the quote unquote happy moments, right? Yeah. And don't you think, I mean, you tell me this as an educator, like I think the expectation often is that, you know, you are doing a good job when everybody's listening, everybody's lining up, everybody's using their words, everybody is studying on there, you know, but I will tell you your finest days is when the chaos is happening because Mm. the chaos is necessary to learn the calm, right? Mm. That's how I teach you when I'm walking you home through it. If you've just throat punched somebody or wrote somebody a bullying note, like the job of kids is to lose their minds. The job of big people is to walk them through it again and again and again. If you're going to measure your success on how calm and competent and quiet your classroom is, I I would give you so much more medals. If, If you have the ones that are like hanging off the light posts and telling everybody to F off and they're throat punching each other and you're like, okay, one more time, get back here. Uh, 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 uh. Nope. Yep. If that is the measure of success for me, because oftentimes we human beings need somewhere to put it. And when we have a team that can collect each other like that, when we have a team that says, I, this is a shitty day, Dustin, I got you. Okay. I'm going to take my spare. You go, you go. I don't know how you're handling those three kids, but you're amazing today. So I got you. And then tomorrow you're going to come with a Starbucks cinnamon dolce latte. It's on my desk. And you say, no matter what today, we're going to have a good day. Huh? <laughs> and then together yeah. as a team, you know, the Jacksons of the world, they're usually have an X in their name and they're the biggest lid flippers. They're going to walk through the door and we're all going to be like, all right, bring it Jackson. <laughs> and I hope your mom comes in too and talks about how terrible we are. I know. Because context is a prerequisite for empathy. And when we understand our job isn't to fix it, it is to acknowledge. It gives us so much power. I'm, I'm laughing because I have a brother named Jackson and he was definitely a, a lid flipper. So that's just hysterical. <laughs> um, Shout out to uh, you, right, before, <laughs> I want to honor your time. So uh, before we get to the last like rapid fire questions, I am curious, is there a favorite part of this book or as you were writing it, uh, a part that just really spoke to your soul or since you've been having folks do book studies and you've been out there speaking a part that just continues to get 
you know, brought back up by different groups. That's the same theme of thank you for highlighting this. I'm curious just from your experience. Yeah, there are two parts for sure. Um, so the book is is broken into three parts. The first is really acknowledging how disconnected we became. And it's the biggest part of the book. Um, and that makes me sad a little bit, but I, I knew so much the context was so important because people are feeling so burnt out and that they don't matter and that they don't, what is the purpose in life? And I needed to give them a reason for that. And then the middle part of the book is really about acknowledgement, which was, you know, we've spent the most part of the day talking about today. And it, it truly is something that I think a little piece that so many people forget in the run of trying to get people back to being happy. And so I think that's the thing I talk about the most. And then the last part of the book is how, where do we go when we mess this up? Because it, this isn't an end game. You know, you're supposed to drink your water and work out and be kind to people. Okay. We, we like what happens when you screw that up, which you will do at least a couple times a day. How do you get back to the best parts of yourself? And I mean, I'll, I'll leave you with just sort of a, a quick summary of that last section, which is really, if I'm going to do the best things in this world, I know on my best days, like some days I just drink wine, but as you know, but as on the best days, I also can do these three things. I, I need to reconnect, not just connect, but reconnect, get back to my people, yep. my breath and my why. And my people, your people are not generally speaking, your friends, or it's a small select few of four or five human beings who know you to the core. And they don't mm. even have to be on this side. Uh, they don't even have to be on this planet. It, often we are most motivated by the people who come before us or, you know, our best friend that, you know, died or, you know, our grandmother that, you know, was a teacher and we want to do better and be better now. Um, it's often don't forget my Angelou talks about this all the time or talked about this all the time and just always blew me away where she was like, you know, oftentimes in my most loneliest moments when I'm, you know, trying to do the most important work on the planet, um, it felt crowded because my ancestors were with me. And I really love that thought of, you know, even though we're lonely and isolated, sometimes you're not doing on those hardest days. Um, you know, you're making so many people proud. You just don't know it in that moment. And then the second thing for me is your breath. And this is the thing that I think is so critical right now. I mean, it, whenever you are, if you're driving home from school or you're on your way, or you're thinking about, you know, how much you got to change in your life. I think about this all the time. You just drop your shoulders. And you have to do it on purpose you see, because most of the time we've spent in uncertainty, fear, no end in sight. So we go like this, our shoulders are up around our ears. And so it's just a simple cue. I have a note on my bathroom mirror on my computer that just says, drop your shoulders. And it drops mm. your cortisol, changes your neurochemistry. And we have to do this on purpose. So wiggle your toes, relax your jaw, get your body into that state of just the best parts of yourself. And we have to do that on purpose these days because if left to our own devices, again, remember we're very introspectively focused. And so we're worried about all the things we're not doing right. And it's a practice of getting back to the best parts of ourselves that um, the more you do it, the better you're at it. That's awesome. Well, I, I think, I mean, obviously we've, like I said earlier, we've only had a couple of folks back on and you were someone that was a no-brainer for us because I just love the authenticity in which you carry yourself with. And also, I mean, the the directness of either your thoughts or your feedback, because for me, it's something I can walk away and start working on right away. And I love the idea of being exactly where we need to be. And I love the idea of and what you're fighting for here is to make sure people are truly seen and reconnected, not just connected, but reconnected, continue over and over to build those connections. So I just thank you so much for having the courage to put your thoughts out there for the world, but also um, loving us enough to come back on here. 
Oh, anytime, anytime, Dustin. And like, we so, really have to do this in person, Abby. So let's get this set up. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm in on that. That's an easy yes. Uh, real quickly, quick, uh, rapid fire, four closing questions. You don't have to think about it too much. Uh, don't overanalyze it. First one, what's a habit or discipline you try to utilize every single day or weekly to make you the best version of yourself? Uh, I would say slowing down. So, uh, five minutes of just no thoughts is one of the most incredibly important things to do, particularly in this very unfocused world, just to give yourself a break. No social media, no talking, no thinking about anything. You can do it anywhere, anytime. Um, just, we need. I just feel like I am so much better when I can give myself that little break. That's great. Uh, book or books, you can use multiple ones that have either your favorite book or a book that you recommend all the time for people to check out. Tuesdays with Maury. Uh, is an older book by Mitch Album, and he wrote about the relationship and the lessons he learned from a graduate advisor who was dying. Uh, I love that little book. And um, anything by Brene Brown changes my life. And there's a new little book uh, out uh, by Jody Carrington called Feeling Seen that I think will yep. single-handedly alter the trajectory of your life. I think people who are listening will definitely be attached to that one. <laughs> All right. Uh, as I said, I'm not going to describe this next one like I do for most guests, but since we both have kids who play baseball, I just want to know right now, this week, where you are in your life, what is your walk-up song? Okay, so it has, to be, it has to be a Taylor Swift song, uh, only because <laughs> she is single-handedly- uh, Owning the planet? Owning <laughs> yeah. the planet, and she's a remarkable human. I feel like I know her. Uh, I'd have to do Bad Blood by Taylor Swift. That's great. I think- uh, Again, this may be off, but I think I read something the other day that was she has drummed up like five to six billion dollars for the economy for the just US to economy. offer global tour. Yeah, that is crazy. I can. OK, so can I tell you this quick story? So I was in yeah. I was on a plane to Chicago and full of concert goers. OK, because she was going to play Chicago Friday, Saturday and yeah. Sunday. Uh, I got on the plane with other, and I'm old. And so people were like, oh my God, are you going to Taylor Swift? And are you going to the concert? And I was like, oh yeah, I was going to the concert. Guess what concert I was going to? George Strait. Yeah. I love same, George Strait. Same. Same. <laughs> George Strait and Chris Stapleton. People are like, are you a Swift? I was like, no, I'm a Straity. So it was like not the same, but I kind of felt like also, I went to Milwaukee <laughs> to see George Strait. Everybody stayed in yeah. Chicago to see Taylor. Same thing. Hey, Stapleton, that's probably one of my wife's favorite singers, Chris Stapleton. Oh, he is like he was phenomenal. Yeah. That sounds like a great concert. All right. Last question. You know, you're someone who's constantly on the road talking to really interesting people, whether it's on a plane or, you know, social media or at conferences. What's the best piece of leadership or change, like human potential change advice you've come across recently that you can't get off your brain? Don't forget how much you matter. Don't forget how much you're loved in any situation and any room, right? And just give it away. Relentlessly give it away and you will be better for it. This is not for anybody else but you. Um, well, Jody, uh, this was awesome. Thank you for bringing yourself here today. Uh, I love, for those of you who are not watching, I love the Nirvana, uh, shout out Nirvana sweatshirt you got what? on here. That's great. Uh, bringing it My back. daughter I made me it. buy it because she's 10 and I'm not cool. So we have matching ones. <laughs> that is awesome. That's a great reference. Real quickly, uh, just remind people as they're listening, if they haven't engaged with you already, what are the best ways to engage with you and your community to continue to grow? 
Yeah, drjodycarrington.com is our website and I'm across all of the social media platforms. I would love, I just love your community that you're building, Dustin. So I would love them to be a part of ours too. Yeah, me too. Well, Jody, thank you. Enjoy your time. I think you're in Toronto right now. So enjoy your time and then your vacation uh, a little bit off with uh, your boys. So have fun. Appreciate you. And we'll have to get together soon. Yes, I would love that. Take care, everybody. All right. Thanks, Jody. See ya. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.